morning. I really appreciate the opportunity to share with you from God's Word. I'm sorry that Alan's feeling bad, though. Anyway, um, I told Alan when he called me, and he said, well, can you fill in for me? And I said, well, I can pick up where I left off. I didn't get quite finished, so that's what I'm going to do this morning. <coughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful, Lord, for your many blessings. We just ask that you guide and direct us this morning as we look into your word, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you recall, we had uh, been looking into uh, the first chapter of John, and and um, I concluded with uh, speaking to, to verse 18, which... Uh, John was uh, presenting the fact that um, the, well, as my my version reads, an only begotten God, the one existing within the bosom of the Father, he hath interpreted him. Which was a, um, this particular version is, it says that uh, in an interesting way, and he uses the word interpreted. He hath interpreted him. And uh, so I want to pick up from there. I'm going to go on to verse 19, and it starts out as, and I, I'm using a very literal translation, which will be a little bit different than the King James. And this is the witness of John, when the Jews sent forth unto him out of Jerusalem, priests and Levites, that they might question him. So before I... I uh, continue from that point, I want to just back up a little bit and bring to your attention a couple of things uh, in the first 18 verses, because actually in verse 19 here, it indicates that, uh, and this is the witness of John. Well, in verse, in verse 7, well, actually, in verse 6, it says, There arose a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness. And then in verse 15, it says, John beareth witness concerning him. Well, it's indicating that he is bearing witness. Actually, in, for a third time in 19 verses, which I think is important for us to just take a quick look and distinguish in the prior two uh, what he was witnessing to in the prior two uh, passages I just read. First off, in verse 6, well, let me back up just a couple of verses to emphasize one thing that I made the uh, last time I was here. It said that in verse, end of verse 3, in verse 4, it says that which hath come into existence, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. So, if you recall, that word for life there in the Greek is zoe, zoe life. And this zoe life was the light of men. And then I uh, went back to Genesis, and I uh, described how that God had created man, uh, from formed man from the dust, he breathed uh, new life, he breathed the spirit into his nostrils, and he became a living soul. And the significance of that is that 
when Adam, when God created Adam, he created him as a living soul. And a living soul, this is very a very key to the book of John, understanding the book of John, is understanding that a living soul is a soul controlled by the Spirit, uh, which is the way God intended us, actually, not just Adam, but it was the way God intended man to live his life. A soul controlled by the Spirit. Now, because of Adam's fall, we are born into sin, and we do not have a soul that is controlled by the Spirit. We have a soul that is controlled by the flesh. And that is what basically what we are trying to accomplish in our walk with the Lord is to turn that around. In other words, instead of living our life controlled by the flesh, we're trying to, we should strive to live our life controlled by the Spirit. Some days it's uh, easier than others. And, uh, but that's the struggle that we have. At any rate, getting back to John, he says, There arose a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness that he might bear witness concerning the light. Now, he's not, he's not bearing witness concerning the life. He's bearing witness concerning the light. And again, the life was the light. The light, it was the fact that we need to become a living soul, uh, a soul controlled by the Spirit. And that's what he was bearing witness to in verses 6 and 7. And then as we go forward, well, let me point out a couple other things before we get to our, the next thing he was bearing witness to, which I, because I believe it helps uh, give us understanding to the, the witnesses that he's, he's providing. First off, I made this point about in verse 5, and the light in the darkness shineth, and the darkness thereof laid not hold. And if you recall, I had this, um, the word, the Greek for that, that word laid not hold, actually it's laid hold of, uh, but it, there's a, a, a small word in front of that, which means that they did not lay hold of. And it's the word kata, kata, K-A-T-A, lambano. And form of this word is used um, at least two other times, if not three. I'm going to try to uh, bring that out to us this morning. And it says that catalambano, it means to hold, take hold of, obtain, or attain. And so it's saying that in verse 5 that the darkness laid not hold of the light. And it it has to do with the will. It's a choice that we make. And so um, the next the next uh, example of this word in starting in verse ten it says In the world he was, and the world through him came into existence. And I made a uh, I explains there was that expression came into existence uh, was used specifically 
that in verse two, 3 says, That which hath come into existence, excuse me, and without him came into existence not one thing. And then it says, Specifically, that which came into existence was the life, and the life was the light of men. And then he says, The world through him came into existence. This is back in verse 10. And the world knew him not. In verse 11, he says, Into his own possessions he came, and his own people received him not. Actually, it says in my version, received him not home. And again, that word received there is a form of the same word that was used in verse 4. Instead of catalambano, it says paralambano. It's a combination of two words, uh, para meaning come alongside. It's where we get our word parable. And paraclete, uh, the Holy Spirit. And it's um, the, the basic meaning is the same, is to take to oneself. And it's saying that his own people, he came to his own possessions. And, he, and to me, that's a reference to God's, uh, the nation of Israel, uh, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were his. They were God's. That, uh, the nation of Israel was God's people. And he came to them, and they received him not. The uh, author of this version, his name is Rotherham, <laughs> And he, in the bottom, he quotes um, somewhat of a contemporary writer of his time. And he says, as an explanation of the word paralambano, he says, the word paralambano means to receive to one's house. And he says, this perfectly expresses the nature of the welcome which the Messiah had a right to experience. It should have been a national, solemn, and official acknowledgement on the part of the entire nation, hailing its Messiah and rendering homage to its God. If the abode prepared had opened in this way, it would immediately have become a starting point for the conquest of the world. In other words, he was saying, if God's people had recognized their Messiah and welcomed him into this world the way they should have, the kingdom would have begun at that point. He would have established his kingdom on earth. But as he finishes his quote here, he says, instead, an unheard of event took place. And we know what that that is. They ended up crucifying their Lord. And I think from Alan, some of Alan's teaching he has expressed the thought that uh, some of the, particularly the leaders, the spiritual leaders of the nation of Israel were aware that Christ was the Messiah, but yet they rejected him anyway. And I think the root of that was they uh, were afraid that their positions of authority and power would have been upset, turned upside down. Uh, They recognized that the Messiah was coming to to rule, and they didn't want that to to happen. And so, there's actually uh, one of the parables I believe kind of expresses this. But 
I'm not going to go into that right now. I just, and I think you may have heard some teachings on this. Uh, it, um, you know, through Alan and others. So at any rate, I did want to get back to this. So in verse 11, it says, Into his own possessions he came, and his own people received him not home. And then in verse 12, it says, But as many as did receive him, he gave unto them authority to become the children of God, unto them who were believing on his name. Now again, that word receive in this verse is a form of the previous two that I've discussed, except in this one it just says lambano. There's no, um, there's no prefix to it. And it just means to say catch at, reach after, strive to obtain. Anytime you hear the word attain or strive or obtain, it's always talking about some future event, some future occurrence. And, of course, from our study of Scripture, we believe that has to do with being able to participate in the coming kingdom of our Lord, to uh, rule with Him. So that's the root meaning of the word receive, but as many as received Him. It's got nothing to do with their their initial uh, salvation, their initial establishment of their relationship. They're, they're actually, uh, uh, one way I like to to express it is to applying the blood as uh, when the nation of Israel was was being called, you know, out of Egypt, God, you know, they came to the last plague and God told them, instructed them to apply the blood over the doorposts and the lantels. And then the uh, angel of destruction, angel of death would pass over. Well, uh, we have to do the same thing in our lives. We have to apply the blood, the, the shed blood of Christ. Um, and so that whole idea, I mean, excuse me, this particular, uh, uh, from my study, is not a reference to that particular point. And in verse 13, and just to illustrate that, in verse 13 it says, which is actually a continuance of the previous verse. It says, Who, not of bloods, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God were born. So he's saying, these people that have received him as their Messiah, those who were believing, which is a present tense form of the word believe, they were born of God at a previous point in time. And John doesn't really give us that specific point in time, but from the way he has structured his the the scripture, his letter, his gospel, it's a it's a reference to a previous time. And you're probably familiar with John three three. I can find it quick enough. John 3 3 says, He was speaking to Nicodemus. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except one be born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So you have to be born from above. And I believe that's what is 
John is speaking of here in verse 13. They were born of God. They were born from above at some previous time. They recognized their Messiah. They received him, and they began believing in a present tense form. Okay. And then it goes on to say, the word became flesh, and he pitched his tent among us, and he and we gazed upon his glory, a glory as an only begotten from his Father, full of, this says, favor and truth, which your version probably says, full of grace and truth. And John is speaking here in hindsight. He's, he's explaining to us what, you know, he, this is one of the last books that, of the Bible, excuse me, of the New Testament that was written. And so he is looking back and and he's expressing what happened while Christ was here on earth. And then in verse 15, it says, John beareth witness concerning him. Him is the one who became flesh and dwelt among us. And hath cried aloud, saying, The same was he that that said, He who after me was coming before me hath advanced, because he was my chief. Or I'm not sure, I can't recall how the King James reads that. But it's a reference to Christ. And he um, is saying that (coughs) somebody is coming who actually had before me advanced because he is higher than me. Basically, that's what he's saying. He's higher, more important. He was because my chief, this literally it says, because my chief he was. He was my chief. So John, first off in verse 6 and 7, he says, The same came for witness, that he might bear witness concerning the light. Then over here now, he has bearing witness to another important idea, and that's that's who was coming after him, who was the Christ. Now, he doesn't actually say that here, but we know from the study of Scripture that's who he's talking about. And he also said in verse 14, the only begotten from the Father. So that's what he's bearing witness to, the only begotten. And actually, I'm going to jump down to verse 18 where he makes the point where it says, No one has seen God at any time. An only begotten God, the one existing within the bosom of the Father, he hath interpreted him. So he's saying that the only begotten God, the Son, the only begotten Son, I believe King James says the only begotten Son, in the bosom of the Father, he hath interpreted him. So he's giving witness to the only begotten Son of God. First it was the light. Now it's the only begotten Son of God. And now we pick up with verse 19 where it says, And this is the witness of John when the Jews sent forth unto him out of Jerusalem priests and Levites that they might question him. Okay, so now he's got another witness that he's providing to this specific group of people. And it were, were it was the spiritual leaders of Israel had sent out some priests and Levite, as it says in my version, to question John. They wanted to find out who he was. 
And of course, you're very familiar with this passage. It says, they asked them, well, it, it seems to imply that um, by John's, John the Baptist's response, he says, he confessed and did not deny, and he, and he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they questioned him, what then art thou, Elijah? And he saith, I am not the prophet. And I assume that means I say Isaiah. The prophet art thou? And he answered, no. So they said unto him, who art thou? That an answer we may give unto them who sent us. What sayest thou concerning thyself? And he said, this is part of his witness to this group of of individuals. I am a voice of one crying aloud in the desert, make ye straight the way of the Lord. And of course, he's quoting from a passage in the book of Isaiah. So what's the significance of this? He's just telling them to make ready um, because the, the Messiah is coming. And they were familiar with that passage in the book of Isaiah. And they knew it was a reference to their Messiah. But for some reason, they just didn't make the connection. And then in verse 24, it says, And they had been sent forth from among the Pharisees, and they questioned him and said unto him, Why then dost thou immerse? Okay, now that's another subject. And before I start it, I do want to back up to uh, what John said in verse 23. He says, I'm a voice of one crying aloud in the desert. And when I was reading that, it just, my mind went to Moses had spent 40 years in the desert before he went back to Egypt to bring uh, the nation of Israel out of bondage to head them towards the promised land. And I don't know that, that there is a, a connection there, but there may be. So, um, but the point is, is that it's pointing us to this promised land. You know, we know that the purpose for for the nation of Israel of being uh, brought forth from from Egypt was to deliver them from their bondage, and not just that, but to take them to the promised land because that's a covenant that God had with them, and He was going to fulfill that. Okay, then it says, and they had been sent forth from among the Pharisees, and they questioned Him and said unto Him, Why then dost thou immerse? In other words, why do you baptize? If thou art not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. Well, that's a good question. Why was John the Baptist baptizing? Well, I didn't do a really, uh, you know, an in-depth study of baptism, but I, I did find out that bapt, and it's actually the same today, really, as it was then. It was it was an identification of the individual with what it was that they were being baptized for. And John, he was sent forth to the nation of Israel. He was bringing a, a mess. I've got a cross-reference here to Mark 1.4. Let's 
look at that real quick. That may put it into words exactly the way I, I think it should be expressed. Mark 1, 4. Now this is, uh, again, a very literal reading. John the Immerser came in the wilderness proclaiming an an immersion of repentance. Only people that need to repent are people that were walking one direction, they turned away from it, and they need to repent and turn back to that way. So he's, he's saying, proclaiming an immersion of repentance for remission of sins. A very specific purpose for the baptism. That they, they, and basically what they were doing, they were proclaiming the fact that they were repenting from their sinful ways and uh, the remission of sins is the removal of sins. And this is prior to the cross. So they, had, they were looking forward. At any rate, I don't want to get on a sidetrack. Anyway, for immersion of repentance, for remission of sins, and there were going out unto him all the Judea country and all they of Jerusalem and were being immersed by him in Jordan, in the Jordan River, openly confessing their sins. Now, this is why the nation of Israel—I mean, the the leaders of Israel—sent this group out to find out what it was about John the Baptist, because they saw they saw people coming out to where he was. They heard about the message that he was proclaiming. And they wanted whatever it was he was proclaiming. And of course, he was saying, make straight the path. The kingdom of God is at hand. And most, I would say, most uh, uh, people of the nation of Israel were familiar with this coming kingdom or a kingdom even though they may not have uh, really kept their focus on it every day of their lives, but they were familiar with it uh, from their uh, upbringing and their their schooling. So when they heard this John the baptizer coming onto the scene and preaching this message, there was a huge need in their lives that apparently was not being met by the spiritual leaders of the nation of Israel. So they started, you know, turning to to John for uh, this need to be taken care of. So they're saying, why are you immersing in water? Why are you baptizing? And and, uh, he says, John answered them saying, I immerse in water in the midst. I immerse in water. That's a statement. And then he says, in the midst of you standeth one whom ye know not. Now, he's not talking about the general there, the general people. He's, he's actually focusing his response. He's witnessing to that group that was sent forth from the, the um, spiritual leaders of Israel. And he says, in the midst of you standeth one whom ye know not. After me coming. In other words, there's somebody coming after him. Of whom I am not worthy that I should unloose the thong of the sandal. And in that, he's kind of reiterating the fact because he was my chief. 
He is higher than me. So he's telling them, actually he's saying Christ is already here. The Messiah is here. He's in your midst. You know I'm not. You don't recognize him. And of course, and again, excuse me, that's a, a that goes back to what it says in verse 11. It says, into his own possessions he came and his own people received him not home. Okay. And then it just goes on and says, these things that were but, before I, I go forward, it says in verse 26, the word know means to know, perceive, understand, have regard. So they really, they weren't even looking for the Messiah. That's primarily the reason why they did not recognize him. And these things in Bethany came to pass beyond the Jordan where John was immersing. On the morrow he beholdeth Jesus coming into, coming unto him and, and said, See the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. Okay, what's significant about that? He says, Behold the Lamb of God. And it, it, it doesn't say he's, he took away the sin of the world. He's taking away the sin of the world. It's a present tense form of the word taking away. That's an ongoing, and actually it has um, in view of those who are believers. And actually it has in view of those in verse 12, but as many as did receive him. And of course, we know that God, that Christ paid the penalty for everybody's sins for all time. But for our day-to-day walk with the Lord, we have to we have to take care of our sin, you know, by confession. You know, First John one nine, and that's the present tense form. That's the present tense sense of this passage right here. In verse thirty, it says, "This is he of whom I said." After me cometh a man who before me hath advanced because my because he was my chief. He, he basically reiterates himself. And again, he is still, well, I started to say it was still the same group that had been sent forth from the uh, spiritual leaders of Israel, but it's, an, it's another day, so I can't really um, say that. But in verse 31, says and i knew him and i knew him not but that he might be manifested unto israel therefore came i in water immersing the purpose so he's he's saying and i knew him not in other words um god called john out of the desert or actually sent him to the desert and then when the time was right he brought him forth to witness to the nation of Israel, prepare the way the Messiah's coming. I mean, the kingdom of God is at hand. He didn't know who, what he looked like. He just said that, I may be getting before ahead of myself here. Yeah, I am. Actually, in verse 32, it says, And John bear witness. Again, he's got another witness to bear. This is the fourth one. John 
And John bare witness, saying, I have gazed upon the Spirit, descending like a dove out of heaven, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not. But he that sent me to immerse in water, he unto me said, Upon whomsoever thou shalt see the Spirit descending and abiding upon him, the same is he that immerseth in the Holy Spirit. So, John knew somebody was coming. He didn't know what he looked like. All he knew is what God told him. And that was, when you see the, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove descending upon an individual, well, that's him. And I believe if we were to look at some of the other uh, Gospels, that's when he saw that happen, that's when he said, Behold the Lamb of God who take away the sin of the world. He actually baptized the Lord. And he didn't feel worthy of baptizing the Lord. He was baptizing all these other folks for the repentance uh, of their sin. And he knew that, that Christ did not need that. And he did not feel worthy of doing that. But Christ said, We must do this to fulfill Scripture. And so, of course, John baptized him. And then when, when Christ came up out of the water, it doesn't say all that here necessarily. At any rate, the idea is, is that when he came up out, out of the water, the Holy Spirit came upon the Lord in the form of a dove, and that told John that this was the Lamb of God who take away the sin of the world. And so we've got... Four witnesses, distinct witnesses by John in this first, we're still in chapter one of John. And so we need to pay close attention to what this witness is that he's given us. Some is directed towards us, some is directed towards, of course, the nation of Israel, and some to the spiritual leaders of the nation of Israel. And then just just us as a as the church reading this, he's he's speaking to us as well. Okay. In verse thirty three, it says, "And I knew him not, but he that sent me to immerse in water, he unto me said, Upon whomever thou shalt see the Spirit descending and abiding upon him, the same is he that immerseth in the Holy Spirit." I, therefore, have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. I probably should have started with that verse right there. Because that's, that's basically what he is trying to, probably one of the most important things of what he was bearing witness to, is that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He was deity. And so... All these things were leading to that statement. I therefore have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. This Jesus is the Son of God. So we when the whole rest of the book of John, these things that John the Baptist is bearing witness to are very important to keep in mind as you 
continue studying the um, the rest of the book. Verse 35 says, On the morrow again was John standing, and from among his disciples two, and looking at Jesus walking, he saith. Now forgive me, this is very little, <laughs> the reading is a little bit awkward. See the Lamb of God. So he's telling those two folks, there is the Lamb of God. And the two disciples, they didn't say, what? What are you talking about? It just indicates that the two disciples hearkened unto him, speaking, and they followed Jesus. They were looking, to me, what that's saying is that those two individuals were looking for for Christ, for the Messiah. They knew there was something special about John the Baptist. They had probably seen the various types of what he had been witnessing, what he had borne witness to. And so whenever he said, Behold the Lamb of God, no question about it. They turned from him and went to Jesus. And that's exactly what John uh, knew should happen. That's what he wanted to happen. That was the whole point of him bearing witness was for was to point to Jesus. Be, you know, make straight your way. The kingdom of God is at heaven. Excuse me. The kingdom of God is at hand. The Messiah is coming. And behold, the Lamb of God. Okay, and the two disciples hearkened unto him. But Jesus, excuse me. The two disciples hearkened unto him, speaking, and they followed Jesus. But Jesus, turning and looking at them, following, saith unto to them, What seek ye? And they said, and that wasn't a trick question. I mean, Christ knew why they were seeking him, but he wants to he wants to explain something to us, really. He says, What seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which meaneth when translated, teacher, where abidest thou? And he saith unto them, unto them, Be coming, and ye shall see. They came, therefore, and saw where he abode, and with him they abode that day. It was about the tenth hour. One of the two that heard from John and followed him was Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter. The same findeth first his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah. Now, between those two verses, verse 35 and 33, 39, excuse me, 41, (laughs) says we found the Messiah. Andrew, which is very common, one of the first things when I became a Christian, I wanted to tell my family. And so I told my family. This is what Andrew does. Very first thing, he goes to his brother. I don't know. Chances are he could have been his big brother. Could have been his baby brother. I don't know. Um, it, it may it, there may be some writings that indicate, but with Simon Peter being the care of his character and his personality, uh, Andrew probably you know looked up to him, respected him, and wanted to share with him what he had found. We have found the Messiah, which is when translated anointed. He led him unto Jesus. Jesus, looking at him, said, 
Thou art Simon, the son of John, thou shalt be called Cephas, which is to be translated Peter. Now, what's the significance of that? Well, first off, we see Andrew basically bringing somebody, a member of his family, to Jesus. And Jesus um, I don't know all of the ramifications or the importance or significance of this, but I do know that when there's a covenant made, God there's a name change often occurs. For example, Abram became Abraham, Sarai became Sarah, and here uh, Simon Peter becomes Cephas. And so it doesn't really explain what that uh, covenant is, um, although there may be, and I didn't, I mean, it's not clear from the portion of Scripture that I studied. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not there. It's somewhere else in the book of John. But the fact that there was a name change implies that there was some sort of covenant established. And uh, from my other study of Scripture, it has something to do with, I, I don't know for sure, but I think it has something to do with the fact that uh, that interchange, exchange uh, of dialogue when Christ says, upon this rock I shall build my church. So Peter, and I'm not saying that Peter is the church, but I'm just saying that there's a connection there of some sort, and, and it's indicated by this name change. Okay. Then it says in verse 43, it says, On the morrow he desired, he, excuse me, he desired to go forth into Galilee, and Jesus finding Philip, and saith unto him, Be following me. That's the literal. It says, Be following me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida in the city of, of the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, Him of whom wrote Moses in the law and the prophets have we found, Jesus, the son of Joseph, him from Nazareth. And Nathanael said unto him, Out of Nazareth can any good thing come? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Come and see for yourself. So what we're saying is, People are being brought to, to Christ, and then they're sharing it with others. And it's a pattern that, uh, that we need to have in our lives. We need to point folks to Jesus. And then verse 47, it says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming unto him and saith concerning him, See truly an Israelite in whom is no guile. Nathan saith unto him, Whence dost thou know me? Philip doesn't understand. How did Christ know him? He had never met him before. Jesus answered and said unto him, Before Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathan and Nathaniel, excuse me, answered him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? A greater thing than these 
shalt thou see. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Ye shall see heaven when set open, and the messengers of God, the angels of God, ascending and descending unto the Son of Man. Okay, that was, I, be, I believe, a reference to the, either the transfiguration or the second coming of Christ. At any rate, the point is, is that Nathaniel placed his faith in Christ. And he had to have, well, first off, it says, back in verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming unto him and saith concerning him, See, truly an Israelite in whom is no guile. Now, back in uh, verse 13, it says, Who, not of bloods, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, were born. So it's talking about them who were believing on his name. But as many as did receive him. That's what it says in verse 13. So what I'm suggesting, what this is, how this is speaking to me is that Christ knows, God knows, who of us are going to come to him before we know we're going to come to him. And and so it's, and, and I do, you know, this is a very complicated subject because there's, it brings in the idea of predestination and being foreordained and all that. And, and believe me, I don't have a handle complete handle on all that but I'm just it just seems to me in scripture it, it teaches that especially later in the book of John it says no uh, Christ is speaking he says uh, um, no man comes unto me except the father draws him so it's it's almost in a sense that it's not up to us although we do know it is, in a sense, because I, I, I think that uh, Christ, I mean, God is, draws us to Christ. Sometimes it's early in our life, and we're not listening. We go into our teens. He's calling us. We're not listening. We go into our young adults. He's calling us. We're not listening. And eventually, sometimes later in life, sometimes after a lifetime of pain and agony of, of, of what we've experienced, we finally come to the Lord. And, but we were drawn actually in a prior time. And if we're listening, we get the advantage of having a longer period of time of developing a relationship with the Lord. At any rate, that's kind of a, a side note. Basically, I want to close with the idea that um, the primary thing that John was witnessing to was the very first thing that's mentioned is that that which hath come into existence in him was life, Zoe life, and that life was the light of men. It's this living soul. We need to strive. I believe it is... Uh, John, excuse me, 12, Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, well, 
2, it says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That is our day-to-day life with the Lord, is making that being not conformed to this world, but being transformed. That word transform means, is the Greek word metamorphi, which is uh, metamorphosis. We always think of, when you say metamorphosis, you always think of a butterfly. And some people think of a tadpole, which actually, I prefer the, the image of a tadpole because you actually see a tadpole transform in stages to become a new creation. And of course, the scripture says, he that, any man that be in Christ is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So that's the thought I want to leave with you folks today, is that each morning when you get up, we, we need to make that a commitment is to be transformed by the, the renewing of your mind. God's word is a commitment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word and that you made it available to us, Father, and that uh, through it we can come to know who you are and understand how we relate to you, Father, and things we need to do that are pleasing to you, O Lord. And we just pray that you help us through through the strength of thy Holy Spirit, Father, to make that choice day by day, moment by moment, Father. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.